0: When you know that uh, there's going to be money coming in, whether you get out of bed or not, whether the market craps itself and obviously the last year has been a very scary time for a lot of people, but if you knew that even if the wheels came off the economy, even if, uh, you know, business, it wasn't business as usual tomorrow and you still had money coming in and you didn't have to eat the cow, I, I I just think that's such a freeing place to be.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we'll continue our discussion with property investing advisor and best-selling author, Selena Kilcani. With a passion for finding alternative strategies to invest. And with two decades of experience helping others achieve financial freedom, Kokani shares some of her tips, tricks and alarming stories. Kokani had a moment of clarity after completing a development in Melbourne that saw her and her husband making a $500,000 profit in a very short space of time.
0: You might look at that on the surface and go, "Wow, what a great win!" But it actually was a really painful experience. Um, the, ba- the builder went bankrupt just prior to completion, and I was flying down to Melbourne every week to try and push it along. And so that was it was a great outcome overall, but that taught me a lot about you've really got to define what success looks like as a as an investor. And you know, I I made the decision from that moment onwards that I I wasn't going to expose myself to that level of risk again. And so I've I've done a lot of small-scale developments since, but significantly lower risk. Um, and, And there's, you know, you would understand there's even within investing there's there's such a spectrum of, you know, investments that require virtually no effort through to those where you're super active. And in 2009. Um, I think the aha moment that came to me was we had a, a really good portfolio at that point, a mix of commercial and residential property. And I started to really, you know, use my accounting skills to kind of project, well, at what point are we going to be financially free? We had a high net worth. And when I did the numbers, and we'd already been investing for you know nearly a decade at that point, when i did the numbers i realized that in order for us to replace our living expenses and and have that freedom to step off it was going to be another 25 years and that's when i went oh god this 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 whole fixation with net worth being the, the you know the ultimate metric can't be right and around that same time we uh, we just bought a commercial property here in canberra and the banks had basically turned around to us and said, look, you you not no more. We're not going to give you any more money right now. And so, you know, I had a choice at that point um, to kind of hit a wall and then go, well, we've done pretty well. Let's just sit on what we've got and wait that 25 years. Or kind of ask the question, what else? And, you know, I think one of the skills that really good investors have is that capacity to be tenacious, to be determined and to ask the question, what else? And so that was really the, the aha was recognizing that, that long game, like property's a long game and yes, you can make chunk deals and I get that, but driving up my net worth wasn't going to get me any closer to my, my dreams around financial freedom. So I started to explore other opportunities, other markets, other ways of doing things. And that's how I stumbled into the alternate space. And and that was, yeah, that was the sliding door moment in terms of really a, a new game for me.
1: Although one would think that it's a high net worth that enables you to reach financial freedom, Kukani has other ideas about what a high net worth can really mean for the rest of your future.
0: Yeah, I, I think pretty much like, you know, it, it's all well and good to say you've got so many million as a net worth but you have to work. And that is, you know, I've worked with so many people who have staggering net worth, like way more than me. And they are in so much financial pain and they have to keep hustling. They have to keep working to support their lifestyle. Or eat the cow, meaning sell down assets to, you know, get off the get off the Ferris wheel. So the thing that, you know, I, I would say I've really, you know, embraced is there's this idea that um you have to you have to do the hard yards, and you have to use tradi- traditional investments to build up your your capital base. And property, for me, is definitely the best vehicle to do that. So there's no avoiding that. But I think what happens is people kind of hang their hat on this idea that they have to be a certain net worth to have it be game over for them. And what I am uh, experiencing, and what I'm doing right now, is showing people you don't actually need as much of a net worth as you think. At that point in time where, you know, part one of the game is build a capital base. Part two of the game, as far as I'm concerned, is how do you take that capital and start to turn the dial and put a tinier percentage of your portfolio into Alternate to ramp up the cash flow so that instead of waiting, you know, 20, 30 years to replace that income, you you can do it in a really short space of time, like I'm talking, you know, three to five years. So, that, you know, and then once you've done that, then part three of the game as far as I'm concerned is, you know, how do you turn all of that income into annuities and a family bank and all of those, you know, things that people give lip service to around legacy but how do you make that really concrete and real?
1: Wow. I love that three-step process and it, it it's so simple and clear and I think a lot of people can easily follow that and that's why I think a lot of people follow what you've been doing as well and what what I'm just curious about then is... When you said that a second, I guess the second time around, which is to actually turn them into alternate sources to be able to generate, you know, more cash flow or whatever it is, how do you go about doing that? What kind of sources are we talking about?
0: Yeah, back in '09 when I hit that wall, I just started looking at well, what else is out there? And I, I think the thing that probably had the exponential impact in my world was um, looking for people who had the results that I wanted. Um, and I searched the globe. Like I didn't restrict myself to the Australian, New Zealand part of the world. I was like, what are people doing in other part of the world? And I, I found mentors and people in in other markets, and I got a chance to look over their shoulder and just see what they were doing. And um, you know, tap, tapping into, you know, following the models that somebody else has already created. Is definitely better than trying to do it yourself. I would definitely say. Um, and I started to uh, hear about, you know, opportunities. And you know, you even hear it here in Australia. You, you hear about opportunities that don't come onto the market, that are off market, that are, you know, out of the reach of most people who are trawling the net looking for opportunities. And I think, particularly in the U.S. market. So I looked at the European and the U.S. markets. But what I liked about the U.S. market particularly at that time, is, you know, from a mechanics point of view, it's very similar to what we have here. Um, the strategies exist in Australia as they do over there. But the, the problem that we have with the Australian market and why I started to kind of get more interested in that US space at the time is that I think the Australian market is fantastic for building up capital. It's awesome. In fact, there's not too many, there's not many markets in the world that, that match it. But For cash flow, it's terrible. I mean, the typical cash flow for properties held without any debt, so no encumbrances at all, is between 1% and 2.5%. And if you own a million-dollar property, me personally, I think that's a pretty shit return.
1: It is. It's crap.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So by putting small amounts of money into some of these alternate strategies where I could all day long get 8 to 15% net returns, um, you can start to see you don't need to put a whole lot of money into it in order to, you know, 5x your cash flow. Um, and that's why that market is so exciting to me. And the reason it works is because our market is all about capital because it's become very efficient. There are so many people who are interested in property and you have to fight for deals here. So even though you would still say it's not as efficient as the share market, it's, it's, if you look at it on a global level australia has a very efficient property market um in the states it's a very different matter there's this space of real estate investing in the market which is incredibly inefficient um and because of that it means that there are all these unconventional opportunities which are just not available to the masses it's really the playground of the ultra wealthy
1: wow it's fascinating to hear that and i think that's the reason why even for myself in the last couple of years or so because capital growth has increased so much, you know, it's become so expensive to purchase property especially in Sydney and Melbourne, those states. People have looked at alternative places and one place that they've talked about is moving into commercial space, you know. Commercial has been a very, very big area that a lot of people talked about probably last year and probably slowed down a little bit due to COVID unfortunately and and you would have experienced that because you've got commercial properties in your portfolio as well. And then then from there, it's like okay, what next? You know, you could look at commercial and get great returns but you still have to put a lot of capital in there and then also the banks only, you know, provide certain LVRs and you can get capped out from there and I know I I personally looked over in the States and when I was looking at some of the deals even from a few people who were telling me about them, I could pick up like properties for 50, 60, even up to 100K reasonably and still get a close to about a 15 to 20% return and I'm like... Wow, why am I not doing that?
0: (laughs) I agree with everything you're saying, and what I would add is, um, you know, a lot of my clients have commercial property, and uh, yes, it has been flavour of the month for the last couple of years. And I I do like commercial property, but it's a game of snakes and ladders as well. Um, You know, higher returns, but you know, often associated higher risks. And and most of the people that I work with who own commercial property at best, after they service their loans, they're making three, four percent. So we're still talking a marginally better step up, but still not epic money. And the the deals that you're talking about in the States, which is buying property, is only one out of the eight strategies that I've started to focus on. So when I started over there, I thought that was what everybody meant by US real estate is just you buy properties. But that is you know, managing property from afar, tenants and toilets and all of that stuff is a big headache. And I got so many cuts and bruises along the way. You know, what I believe now out of all the strategies in the alternate space is that one, owning direct property is my least favourite out of all of them. So that's why what's really exciting for me about the uh, alternate opportunity in the States is, you can put small amounts of money into each deal you know you can put as little as 5 20 50 100k depending on the opportunity you can do true diversification you can diversify geographically from a liquidity point from a from an exit point of view from there's so many different layers to it so you know we talk in australia about diversification and really what it means is well i bought a house in new south wales so let me go and buy one in victoria now and in the alternate space, because the dollars per deal are so small, it's really about diversification across strategy and all those other things that I talked about. So, it's a the, the idea of owning houses is great, but it's bottom of my pile now in terms of the strategies. I, I want to control the deals, I don't necessarily want to own and be responsible for the tenants and maintenance and all that rubbish.
1: With a focus for alternative routes in property investing and the wisdom to know where you can mitigate risk, Kulkarni focuses on a number of strategies which each have variations within.
0: There's the traditional one that you're talking about which is, you know, just buying property. Um, you know, you go to a bank, you get leverage and you purchase or you just buy purchasing cash. Um, the strategies, there's probably four buckets and there within each bucket, there's variations but the four buckets are, you know, direct ownership. Um, lending deals where you become the bank, um, joint venture deals, meaning you partner with someone to, um, and you get paid a rate of interest. So you, you're it's a hybrid between a lending deal and a direct ownership deal, and you get a share of the profit at the end of the development. And then the, the fourth bucket is syndications, um, where you're, um, you know, a group of you um, going in. Um, and sorry, I'll, I'll add a fifth bucket, which is the the main bucket that most of my guys like which is the small private funds. Um, So syndications is a bunch of people, one specific project and private funds is a bunch of people but the fund manager has the capacity to get involved in multiple projects at the same time. Could be business loans, multi-unit complexes, all sorts of things.
1: And with those ones especially like say for example going to like a syndication or fund manager. In Australia, obviously, there's, there's slightly different rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff around it. What, how does that work over overseas?
0: Uh, from from which sense? From a tax? Point
1: of view? I guess maybe in terms of regulation point of view, like with funds here, they're quite highly regulated um, in here, and, and you have to go through quite a lot of paperwork. And-
0: yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not setting up the funds, so it's you know not me that runs the funds, and I I don't get paid based on anything anyone invests in, so you know, one of the attributes that I, I really think is important that you develop as an investor is being very agnostic, meaning, you know, being unbiased by everybody else's opinion and what the market's saying and really being able to, you know, understand and look at deals on their own merit. So, um, you know, the the funds over there, quite right, are extremely well regulated. But a lot of these small private funds, they operate in a space that is too small for the big hedge funds and the REITs and, you know, way too big for your average mum and dad investor. So what that, you know, they're they're very nimble. They can take on big deals, small deals, you know, and each fund has their own, you know, flavour of what they do. But the calibre of people, I mean, and this comes back to network, um, you know, one thing that I prize is the the network and a lot of the guys that I work with that run these funds, they won't work with you if you're just some, you know, unknown off the street. You know, they're they they they're a very insular private network. And when they say, look, there's a deal here, they'll fund it really quickly. They don't need anybody's money. So they're, they're not the sort of people that will go out looking to the public to, to raise money. It's a very private network. And the interesting thing is because we are described as aliens, um, a lot of those opportunities are, um, you know, they're like if you were a local, they'd say, "Oh, you know, have you are you a sophisticated investor? Have you got a net worth over this?" But because we're foreign, they they don't care.
1: Coming up after the break, we hear more about the returns that Kilcarni sees and why that shouldn't discourage you.
0: I know it sounds like they must be super risky or something, but. In, in all seriousness, when you when you unpack the deals and you understand how the strategies work and you understand that these deals don't need a rising market, they don't care whether the, there's economic turbulence.
1: We'll also hear about what Kulkarni has been up to in the last 15 years since exiting the corporate world.
0: For the last probably six or seven years prior to uh, starting the Freedom Warrior program, you know, I, I was helping people find things in Australia like helping, pointing them in the right direction. I'm not a buyer's agent. I just used to, you know, hand them on to people who were buyer's agents.
1: What formula she uses to calculate expected net worth and how effectively you are creating wealth?
0: There's a formula that I kind of put my own tweak on that I pulled out of that which is if you if you take your average household age and multiply it by your average gross household income and divide by 10 that should give you your expected net worth.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharma and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey Property Investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1% to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. The returns that Kilcarni sees would be much higher than average and she takes a slightly more aggressive approach to investing.
0: Typically, um, on the more traditional stuff, you can get 8 to 15% net returns. On some of the um, the joint ventures and other lending opportunities, by the time you factor in your profit share, you can get returns of 18 to 24% um, because of that market inefficiency. And I know it sounds like they must be super risky or something but... In, in all seriousness, when you when you unpack the deals and you understand how the strategies work and you understand that these deals don't need a rising market, they don't care whether the, there's economic turbulence and you contrast that to the uncertainty in our market right now, you, you start to see that the relative risk is actually lower than what we experience in the Australian market.
1: Yeah and and I mean I, I would have to agree with you because I'm already involved in those type of markets as well here um, understandably and you know when people ask me how am I able to get like between 15 or 30% returns on these deals that I'm working on right now and they're secured and there's you know a lot of um, possibilities that there's, there's more to it. Um, people just don't believe it <laughs> and I can understand because we've all been conditioned that in this market, you know, you expect maybe three percent return at most in Sydney markets. You know, up in Brisbane you might be able to get a seven percent net yield and you go, mm, okay, that that's that's what everyone expects. It's just I guess changing the mindset and then really understanding, unpacking the deal and I think that's kind of where you've kinda of gone, you know, further because it's it's a matter of opportunity cost. You know, if you're gonna invest your money and put it in something for the next ten years, potentially those ten years you could have actually accumulated maybe a you know, um compound it say 15% return instead of saying getting a 7% return and at the end of the day, which is going to perform better? Well, you know, I think the obvious answer would be the second one because it compounds it at a greater rate. So, it's just really I guess changing a mindset and working with different people to understand that and once they understand it, it actually does work really, really well. Is that what you've kind of experienced as well from your side of things?
0: It's such a great point you raise but and you know, I'm, I'm all for healthy skepticism Um, My training has made me a very conservative person. Um, And yet people are so suspicious and sceptical about these opportunities. I had, um, what's it called, when someone trolls you? I've I've had people definitely troll me and say, oh, this is, you know, this has got to be a scam or, you know, but I, I have zero involvement in the investments that the people around me make. I, I don't have, you know, my role is to support and give them access, but I don't get paid and I don't, you know, have any involvement. But, you know, I feel I love Australian property and it is awesome, as I said, for building capital, but I got tired of relying on a rising market to make money and I got tired of, um, it, it's, it's hard work finding good deals in our market. Um, so, you know, what I feel is Right now, my plan A is building cash flow through these alternate strategies, which, by the way, all exist here in Australia. They're just not plentiful. Um, but finding consistent deals is not as easy as it sounds. And my v- worldview is that the world is full of undervalued opportunities. And that's, that's all I'm doing is tapping into those. It's, it's, there's no smoke and mirrors. There's no, they exist. It's just that they're not mainstream.
1: Kukani exited corporate world 15 years ago after working as a chartered accountant and being employed by a number of publicly listed multinational companies around the world.
0: I don't even know if I'm employable to be frank. I said that to my husband like if I ever had to go back to a job, I, I don't think anyone would give me a job. Um, no, I've, I've kind of been out of corporate world for 15 years now.
1: This big change was brought on by Kukani's decision to not only be home to raise her children but also to focus on the property side of things when they start to provide the best returns.
0: You know, I've done lots of things. I was an avid share trader, I've tried lots of things and then ultimately, as the property stuff just started to give the best returns, I just let go of everything else and just focused on that and and, you know, it, it was never the case that I set out to start a business in this. I just started to have people ask me well, how did you do that? And could you help me with that? And, and it just sort of evolved from there. And for the last probably six or seven years prior to uh, starting the Freedom Warrior program, you know, I, I was helping people find things in Australia, like helping pointing them in the right direction. I'm not a buyer's agent. I just used to, you know, hand them on to people who were buyer's agents, but helping them, you know, I, I think of myself as a strategist because I have that problem solving ability, but you know, it's really only in the last two years that I kind of went, I don't actually want to work that hard. And I want to work with fewer betters. I want to work with people who get the concept of what I'm saying, which is you don't have to wait till you're 65 to retire. You can you can get there in the next eighteen months, two years if you do the right things and you embrace some of this alternate stuff. Um so my attitude is, and I know this is a really you know babyish metaphor, but you know I'm driving this bus and I'm going in this direction if you want to join me on that journey jump on the bus um, yeah come with me that's that's kind of where I'm at
1: fantastic and and that's what it sounds like from the heart you know you're genuinely there to help people and you've got a strong why behind that because you've achieved it for yourself you know you built a portfolio, you've built up, you know, not having to work, you know, for the last fifteen years. There's already proof there that you're genuinely here to help, because you know, I know a lot of successful property investors who are in the market doing exactly the same thing, and they're really, really passionate and wanting to be part of that. And just people long journey because I think once you've reached that point where you've got enough success, it's whether or not you just want to continue to enjoy your life or you go out and leave a legacy and help others. And I can see that's where you're going down at this point in time. So
0: it's great. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I think I end I help with two ends of the spectrum. I help business owners who are kind of wanting to build that exit ramp from their business and they're worried about whether or not they'll sell or not. And then at the other end, I love working with teenagers. Um, so I've done a lot of work in the, you know, the teenage market, just helping them understand the basics of stewardship and investing and looking after money and understanding that you know, you can be the driver of your own financial success and it doesn't matter what you earn and I never had a high income I should add, ever.
1: Even after spending a small fortune in every property course and book that was out there at the time, Kokani still says the single biggest driver of her success was the mentors and masterminds that she engaged with.
0: You know, there's, there's probably been a number of people on the way, along the way but they, they, they weren't famous. They're not like celebrities or anything like that. They're just regular Joes who happen to have a great capacity to create wealth and it's effortless for them and it's there's no charge around it. They're not stressed about it. They're not money hungry. They're just, you know, and, you know, I think alignment on the values front is really important. So I'm, I'm actually relatively frugal. Um, so... I found that a lot of the people that I took on as mentors were also relatively frugal. Um, you know the the purpose of money is not necessarily the the fancy homes and the big houses and all of that. It, it's It's really that capacity to influence um, that that matters the most. So, um yeah mentors are many and varied and both from the wealth space as well as from the, you know, I've had a long love affair with all things yogic and you know, so I've had some phenomenal mentors in the getting your headspace right.
1: By putting her own spin on some teachings from a classic property investing book, Kilkhani is able to remember the basics whilst also tweaking it to best suit her own style of investing.
0: It's a very old style book but it's one that you've probably read which is The Millionaire Next Door. Um, It's old, it's like 25 years old or something like that but I think the principles in that book still stand true today. and there's some there's some great things in there, and there's a there's a formula that I kind of put my own tweak on that I pulled out of that, which is if you if you take your average household age and multiply it by your average gross household income and divide by ten, that should give you your expected net worth. Now, because of the way that the property market and affordability has di, di- you know changed, I actually have changed the formula a little bit and I say your average household age multiplied by your av- your gross income divided by five. That's my, that's my take on that. But it, that should give you your expected net worth. Now, if you're above or below that, that gives you a barometer as to how effectively are you creating wealth. So I love that book. I just think it's lots of great concepts and um, just a reminder that you know, there's no there's no magic formula. It, it's just, you know, spend less than you earn and, and invest.
1: She admits to feeling the imposter syndrome plaguing her from time to time, but finally feels as a whole comfortable in her own shoes.
0: I think the biggest part of the journey for me has been the head game. The head, you know, getting your head in the right space and being clear about what matters and I think I've wasted a lot of time going down a lot of rabbit holes because I I wasn't sure and I I didn't back myself. And, you know, it's a little bit like the experience of seeing things on Facebook and Instagram and it just looks like everybody else has the perfect world and the perfect life. And it's probably as I've got crankier and older <laughs> that I say I just have to back myself a bit more and I, I um, you know, I think definitely... Feeling an experience of the imposter syndrome from time to time has has plagued me, but you know I'm I'm a bit more comfortable in my own shoes now. So I think yeah, the message I would give to myself is you know back yourself a bit more.
1: So what plans has she got for the future?
0: Well, lots of things. Well, one thing that's uh, kind of in the on the radar for the goals for the next ten years is maybe a move to somewhere coastal. We uh, my husband and I both love places like Newcastle. And he's a real beach goer. So something like that, that's kind of one thing that I'm excited about. Um, but I, I love, if we're, if we're talking wealth and property, I love the idea that I've got a plan A, B and C. Like it's kind of like plan A is I'm just continuing to build cash flow through these alternate strategies. I'm not overexposing myself at all. I've I've got still a great portfolio of assets here in Australia, which is my plan B. And then my plan C is obviously all the traditional things that I don't really believe in but super and all that stuff. But um, I feel I can't even tell you when you know that uh, there's going to be money coming in, whether you get out of bed or not, whether the market craps itself and obviously the last year has been a very scary time for a lot of people. But if you knew that even if the wheels came off the economy, even if – uh, you know, business—it wasn't business as usual tomorrow, and you still had money coming in, and you didn't have to eat the cow. I, I, I just think that's such a freeing place to be, and I, I just wish that for everyone. Um, you know, I feel really sad. I spoke to a guy earlier this week who was 70. Such a sweet guy, has been running a business all his life, is barely making ends meet, and is now at the point where he knows he, he can't step. Even at age 70, he can't step off. Um, and I just, I have real empathy for people who, you know, feel that they've got a higher purpose but just can't work out how to access that.
1: So, I've got this last question I've got for you is out of all your successes, you know, you've built a great portfolio, you found alternative ways and you've you know, helped so many people around the world and Australia as well too. How much of that is success is due to intelligence, skill and hard work and how much of that is due to luck?
0: I genuinely believe I'm a very lucky person and I have massive gratitude for the journey that I've been on and the people that I've met. Um, But I think there's that definition, which I'll probably get wrong, but um, where uh, opportunity meets preparation, the intersection of those two things is really, you know, the dictator of the results that you get. So it's luck and also being prepared and in the right mind space when you when you start looking for opportunity and you really become laser focused about it you just see it everywhere so i would say it's probably where those two circles meet
1: Thank you to Selena Kilcani, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.